I wasn't going to cry. Now I am. Um, uh, it is a huge, huge honor for me to be up here uh, this morning, just simply for the fact that I get to preach the word. But other than that, I mean, this is my home. Uh, I've been here since I was three years old, which for some of you was like, that was last week for you, right? No, it was 18 years ago is when we started coming, almost 18 years ago is when we started coming to this church. Uh, and many people here have seen me grow up. And I know for some of you, that's probably weird to see me here right now. And I know it's kind of a strange deal for me. But I currently have the blessing of actually serving on staff here at Christian Life as the youth director. So anything 6th through 12th grade is uh, what I have the pleasure of being able to oversee, which means I get to work very closely with Pastor Landon Fleming, who also happens to be uh, one of my best friends in this life. So I really, really am, am blessed to be here. And I'm very pumped for today, but um, I have to be honest with you guys, uh, because I, I do feel like it's my, my due diligence to tell you guys honestly where I'm coming from. And I want to say that the last couple months of my life have been extremely difficult. Um, they've consistently been some of the hardest months of my short 21 years of being alive. And in fact, a one word recap for them is roller coaster. In May, um, my mom graduated nursing school, which was a huge, huge honor. She's actually here today. She has not slept. She worked overnight just to be here for her son. And thank you, Mom. I appreciate you. Yeah. But one day after this picture was taken, I had a nightmare become reality. My parents had gone out of town, and my dad texted me because he couldn't get a hold of cell reception. He texted me that a good friend of mine was actually killed in a motorcycle accident while on his way uh, to serve at his church. It's my friend Jake, and that's him right there with the beard. He's a, he was a big teddy bear of a guy, and uh, I miss him very dearly. You know, Jake was almost like a Superman figure to me. Uh, he was a Marine, police officer. He was a blue belt in jujitsu, but he was actually posthumously awarded a black belt, which was really, really cool to see. And on and on I could go as to why Jake was a hero of mine. And when your hero dies unexpectedly, you almost don't know how to handle it. That was one day after my mom graduated. What immediately followed Jake's death was a string of personal struggles and shouldering burdens I never thought I would ever have to shoulder. People that I loved so dearly were going through things that I never thought I would have to help them walk through. Not to mention, <laughs> the ministry here did not and has not slowed down. I mean, it just doesn't, and praise God for it. But this summer, which is always crazy for youth ministry, this summer was insane, and it was awesome. And the day before the most amazing youth camp ever, better and brighter, was the day that I said goodbye to my dog that I had had since I was four years old. <laughs> That's me and Queenie when I was six. She was precious. And as many of you know, I spent a good portion of the last month, August, in Louisiana because I also said goodbye to my grandfather. And that was us a long time ago with my dad. And just a few weeks ago, 
I started my last semester ever in college. So, like I said, roller coaster. And I do not tell you any of this to sound self-indulgent or to take time to process in front of you. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is actually give some weight behind the words that I'm going to deliver to you today. Because my life for the past few months has felt like it's been caught in a gray cloud, honestly. And in that gray cloud, worship has been difficult. Prayer has been hard. The community interacting with people has been extremely difficult. And I will tell you, I have never, never questioned God's goodness through this season, but I will tell you, I have felt like he was far away, like really far away, like almost like he forgot who I was far away. And, and, and that's, that's where I'm coming from because this brings me to today because I don't think that I'm the only one that's been dealing with that. And if I am, that's fine. You guys can forget everything I just said. But what I want to do is I want to anchor my heart and your hearts around a passage that directly speaks to people going in that season. And we're, the text that we're going to go through today is Psalm 77. This is the only text we're going through today, so if you want to grab your Bibles, you're more than welcome to turn there. Psalm 77 is going to be our passage. And so before I start reading, and as you guys are flipping there, I, I want to provide some context for what the Psalms are in general, and also for this particular Psalms. So <clears throat> Psalms the book, are really a collection of ancient worship songs and poems. And they used to have musical accompaniment. So like, these are the lyrics, and they used to have sheet music that went with them, basically. And so you can picture, we just sung worship, it was phenomenal. We got to praise the name of Jesus. And, and imagine that as opposed to singing something like Firm Foundation, we were singing something like Psalm 77. We, we can kind of transport ourselves back to the ancient Near East, and that's what the people were doing. They were singing the words in the book of Psalms, and obviously with less electricity, so to speak. But the, historically, the instrument of choice was the harp. We know this. King David uh, was a harpist. And so many of these songs used to be accompanied by the harp. And the Psalms have a really beautiful way of explaining who God is and his character that makes it really easy for us to grasp. Now, if any of you guys are nerds like me, then you're going to geek out about what I'm just going to say. But there's a literary device that's used in writing, and it's called an anthropomorphism. You're like, what the heck did he just say? I, I don't know. I read it on the internet somewhere. But a, an anthropomorphism is what we see in Psalms. What it means is it, it takes human qualities and it ascribes it to something that's not human. So God is not human. But we read God with human qualities in the Psalms. It's beautiful how, how the authors of the Psalms did this. And so we see a lot of vague and metaphorical language for the struggles and trials that people were going through and that's intentional. It's intentional so that people across all times and all situations could identify with what was going on in the author's lives. Because none of us are dealing with 
surrounding lands trying to conquer us. Yet all of us are dealing with things that we can identify with in the Psalms. That's why we can connect so deeply with this. And as I was kind of verbally processing that thought to my friend Landon, Pastor Landon, he's like, hey, that's actually a common thing in songwriting. I didn't know this because if I tried to sing right now, I could clear a room like that. I just, God thinks it's good, but no one else does. And Landon was like, no, this is a common thing in songwriting. Oftentimes, songs are a form of therapy to the people who write them. It's an art form. It's a way of processing what's happened, which makes it for a beautifully authentic experience. However, there's a curse to that. When you write something that's so specific to your experience, it can be hard for other people to connect. So what will happen is someone will write a song, and in that song, you know, will be so specific, but then it'll undergo a revisionary period. And the language is expanded. And maybe the situations are changed in the song. And the reason it's for that is not to change the story, but it's to make it more widely accessible for people who listen to the song to connect with. Are you seeing what I'm doing here? The Psalms do the same thing. They are wide and broad and cast a metaphorical net for us to be able to connect with. Which brings me to Psalm 77. It's a common misconception that King David wrote all of the Psalms. This is not true. In fact, he wrote the majority of them, but the Psalm that we're reading today was written by a man named Asaph. Now, Asaph was a top worship leader for King David and was even described in some scriptures as a private prophet to the king himself. So the first four verses say this. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night of my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So these first few verses in here, they are really depicting an awful pressure of circumstance. We don't know what's happening, but we just know this guy can't sleep because of it. To the point where this author says he cannot even be comforted. He cannot sleep and he cannot pray. And in fact, the very memory of God is too painful for him. This is an intense darkness that exists for the author's life. And the next section is especially haunting. Verse five says this. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So in the end of the last section, we saw a sleepless night. 
a scene that's honestly all too familiar to us in stressful times, right? And in the condition of that sleepless night for the author, he remembers when times were good. He remembers that he used to be able to sing and pray. You know what, I remember when I used to be able to do that. And in that memory, it causes him to wonder if things will ever be the same with God again. Will he ever love me again? Have I fallen out of favor with him? Did, I, did God forget to be gracious with me? Is he so angry with me that he forgot to be compassionate? The author's soul was crushed by life's circumstances and he could not deal with it any longer. His conclusion, surely God had forgotten him. St. Augustine, who's an early church father, says this about the author's condition in Psalm 77. He says, so great a weariness did possess me that my soul did close the door against all comfort. He was so exhausted that his soul said, no more comfort. <laughs> and at this point, you're probably like, I have never heard a worship song like this. Ever. This is depressing. Where is good, good father? Where is it? Where's Jaira? Like, can you, can you please just play the latest Elevation album? Please. I can't handle this anymore. You know, because it, honestly, it carries the mood of a Nirvana song more than it does than worship we're familiar with. I just told you guys I listen to Nirvana, whatever. <laughs> the best part about this is that we're only, we're only halfway through, though. And I'm going to tell you guys, we read through verses 9, something huge, I mean massive, happens in verses 10 through 11. Like, 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 ch like changes the whole dynamic. So we're going to skip those right now. <laughs> we're going to come back to those. Because I, I wanna show you guys the change that happens. Verse 12 says this. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. What the heck happened? Just a few verses ago, this guy was like a teenager going through a breakup. He's like, I hate life. Life sucks. I can't sleep. God, you forgot me. Why do you hate me? Sad face emoji. It's like, it's like I can't handle this. Now he's like, God, you're so good. You're holy. What other God is great like you? You do miracles and save your people. What happened? And this passage... Psalm 77 concludes in the same manner. The victorious, the, the God you're holy, the, the praise the Lord. It, it concludes in that attitude. And it actually has some pretty sweet Old Testament imagery. We see in verse 16, it says this. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. 
Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your path was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Praise the Lord. Like, that's a worship song? Not that other stuff? What is that? We have almost two entirely different songs in one psalm. We have a song of lamenting, which basically says, God, this sucks, and I'm pretty sure you do too. I'm just saying what he said. And then a song of praise. You're holy and I praise you. (laughs) And I immediately, when I read this, I think two things. Number one, the human mind and heart are so fickle, it's not even funny. Like how, how does the same brain, the same tongue that can say, God, you're holy, can go, God, I forget you. You have forgotten me. How can that happen? Other than to say that the human brain and the human mind and the human emotions and the human feelings are so fickle, you can't depend on them. You just can't. The other thing I notice is this. It's really kind of a question. What in the world happened in verses 10 through 11? Those are the ones we didn't read. And like I said earlier, my assumption is that whatever happened there changed the entire mood of the psalm. So let's check it out. Psalm 77, verses 10 and 11 says this. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Okay. So those two sentences, they held the key to the entire shift. They did. Immediately before this, remember, Asaph, the author, was questioning God's compassion. Surely he had forgotten him. And immediately after this, he was saying, God, you're holy. So why were these two verses so impactful? Let's dig into that. We see that nothing that was said here is unique or life-changing. There's no seven keys to breakthrough or overcoming depression in five ways in, this, in this, these two verses. There's just not. There is only one thing, a simple act of remembering. However... If you guys are eagle-eared or eagle-eyed, depending if you're listening or reading, you're going to remember that this is not the first time Asaph tried to remember something. In a sleepless night, he tried remembering his time with God when it was good. He tried this before. So why is it that when Asaph was remembering God when he was suffering from insomnia, it didn't produce the same effect that it did here? That's a good question. Because in the first case, Asaph was searching his own soul for God. He was saying, I remember what God used to do for me. 
It, it, was, it was honestly an exercise of comparison. God, you used to deliver me from things. God, you used to move mountains for me. Asaph found no comfort in this because he was um, comparing what God used to do, which actually led to a deep disappointment. And, And so we see what Asaph found out by doing this is what we should know to be true. God treats us with as much love when he moves mountains for us as when he does not move mountains for us. So in other words, the love of God motivates God to move and also motivates God to wait. You know, it's loving that if we're in the middle of a street and a car is screaming towards us for someone to just shove us out the way, that's loving. It's also loving to not be bailed out of jail for the third time. But what about the in-between? How can it be considered love if you're in jail and have done nothing apart from your natural sinful nature? You're like, okay, I can accept the fact that I'm a human that sins, but why am I in jail, Lord? Why, why have you stricken me with the worst circumstances? Why? I tithe, I worship, I serve, I pray, I go to church every Sunday. Why am I still in jail? How is this love, God? How is it love when God says no for no clear reason? Because there's people in here that I know, that I walk with, that I love dearly, who have been told no for no discernible reason. How is that love? I'm not going to claim to know the answer on that. I don't know exactly why things do or do not happen, but I do know this. I know that his ways are higher than ours and that no one can counsel the most high. And I do know that when there's a thorn in our side that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. I do know this, Not, not, not made good, made perfect in our weakness. I do know that God likes to use conflict and hard times to reveal areas where our hearts are not yet free. It's like whenever he asked Abraham, can you sacrifice your long-awaited son that I promised to you and gave to you, or do you not trust him with me? Do you think you're a better dad than me, Abraham? I gave that son to you. So we as humans know something, and we remember when God moves. Like, we can see it. We're like, oh yeah, God moved there. And we remember that. Those are like, that's the cool moments. Like, man, God moved there. And therefore, sometimes we can allow that memory to make us angry. Because there's a time when God won't move. And it makes us think it's unloving. I'm saying us, I mean me, I've thought this. Asaph like all of us, can get caught in the comparison trap because he's remembering what God did for him less of who God was. He was reducing God to a solution to a problem. This is is God as genie behavior. We can do this all the time. It's like God is a solution to our problem. He's not holy and wonderful. Wonderful. 
And that's exactly what changed the second time around. Because Asaph said, he just basically, he got outside of himself. He stopped whining about how God used to be amazing and he remembered how God was always great to his people. He remembered how God was holy. He remembered how God revealed himself through signs and wonders and delivering his people. And that was it. That's what broke Asaph. Because no longer was God a solution to a problem, God was a source of wonder. His greatness and his holiness, they were overwhelming. Because he was the great redeemer, he was powerful, and he led his people to freedom. That's what broke Asaph. So, where does that leave us? How are we to live differently because of what we heard today? I have two things for you, just two. Number one, pray honestly. Like, that's kind of weird. How do you pray honestly? I think a lot more of us lie to God in our prayers than we realize. I do, for sure. Because our feelings are like that of Asaph. God has left us. He used to be more faithful. He used to actually love me. That's my feelings. And so therefore, when I talk to God, I pray shallow. So instead of bringing those feelings to God, God, you used to treat me better. I feel that. You, you, you are too far away from me, Lord. I'm not saying these are true. I'm saying these are my feelings. But instead of me giving those things to God, I hold them back. I treat God like people treat other, like I treat other relationships in my life. People hurt me, people hurt you, we stop talking to them. People hurt me, people hurt you, you put a mask on around them. They're not gonna see the true me, they hurt me. God's not gonna see the true me, he hurt me. People hurt you, people hurt me, we think they should know what's automatically wrong. They should just know, I shouldn't have to tell them, they should just know. They should know that they hurt me. When they apologize to me, I will be honest with them. That's how we treat God sometimes. You're like, well, doesn't God already know everything? Yes, he does. And he also wants you to surrender. Because you are allowed to tell God that you doubt him. You are. You're allowed to tell God that you're scared. You're allowed to tell God that you can't feel him because God is big enough to handle that. He is. He says, come to me, all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to me after you've thrown your burden off. He said, no, come to me with your heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's who we should go to. Because catch this, God loves us enough to care for us in those places. The safest, the safest of human relationships are drawn closer in times of hard honesty. How much more so is this true with God? How much closer does our heart know him when we bring our hurts to him? When, when we pray honestly and deeply like this psalmist did, desiring to draw closer to the Father again. I refuse to believe that the psalmist was a skeptic. Some people will say that. Oh, he's just being skeptic. 
I think a true skeptic quits talking to God altogether. I think, I think you have a wounded soldier here. I think you have a wounded saint who says, you, God, I remember when things were good. I want, it, I want that again. This is not skepticism. This is trying to surrender. And we know this, when we draw near, God will draw near. When, when we say, God, I want to come to you, God meets us. We see this in the book of James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So that's number one. How do we live differently? We pray honestly. We don't hold anything back from God. We surrender to him fully. Number two, remember who God is. Remember who he is. Asaph's breakthrough came when he stopped wishing God would move like he moved in the past and when he started to remember how God's character has always been on display. So, so that is what I charge us with. Remember the wonder of who God is. Remember his holiness and how great that is. Remember how he has always been faithful to redeem. Remember God's power. Remember that no matter how and where, he has always led you. Remember whether out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, through desert storms, or through shepherds, God has always been faithful and always will be faithful. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen? One thing that has completely and utterly changed my life was something I stuttered on, stumbled upon about two years ago. I was meditating on the fact that God is God and I am not. He is creator and I am creation. He is holy and perfect, and I'm the one who's in a need of redemption. Y'all, I'm telling you, that truth has anchored my heart on him more than I could ever put into words, especially when it didn't make sense. And as I was studying for this message, one commentary that I read put into great language about Psalm 77 what I was just saying. This commentary said this, here indeed is comfort. The holy God is totally free to do what he will and in his will is our peace. Wherever he le leads, he will also provide. Let's stand everybody. So uh, I told all of you at the beginning of this that I have been on a roller coaster the last couple of months. And as I mentioned, the whole reason I taught Psalm 77 to you guys today was that it was something that I was calling my personal heart to anchor around. So the question I want to answer for you is how has that passage anchored my heart? It's very complicated because that passage didn't bring my friend Jake back. My friend Jake is still gone. 
My grandfather is still gone. My dog, she's still gone. And people that I love very dearly, they're still going through heavy, very heavy things. So this, this passage, it didn't solve my problems. It didn't get rid of them. Like Asaph, I have lost sleep. I have wondered if God was no longer going to be kind to me. I remembered when my worship and my prayers felt like they actually were heard and meant something. All of the above, I've definitely felt that. But again, like Asaph, my heart has found so much comfort in who God is. Even when his ways have offended me, I have remembered that he was the good shepherd. When his ways have made me angry, I have remembered that he is my holy father. When he has crushed me, I have remembered that though he slay me, I will praise him. And so for you, for you, if this message was like prophetically speaking into your current season of life, like how in the world did I come to church today and that was the message? I promise you it wasn't me. Because if God's ways have offended you, remember that he is the good shepherd. If God's ways have made you angry, remember that he is your holy father. And if God has crushed you recently, remember that though he slay you, you will praise him. I'm gonna say something. I refuse to give Satan credit for a sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Refuse it. It's not him sometimes. Sometimes it's your holy, loving, kind father crushing the sin out of your life, crushing the things out of your life that don't need to be there. Sometimes it's God loving you and that's what causes him to wait. So remember who God is and take wonder in his faithful works of old. Can I pray with you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Oh, Lord Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you that you are great, you are good, you are wonderful. God, thank you that your ways are higher than ours. Thank you that we cannot counsel you. Thank you that though you slay us, we will praise you, Lord. Thank you that sometimes it's you who crushes us, God, because you love us. Thank you that sometimes it's you who crushes us so that we can get rid of things that don't need to be in our lives so that we can be presented more holy before you. God, thank you that you love us in unique and wonderful ways, Lord. And God, I pray that today we will be comforted by that. We will be encouraged by that. We will be uplifted by that, Lord, and we will remember who you are. We will take comfort in who you are. We will remember your holiness, your greatness. We will worship that. We will forget about what's going on with us. We will remember you, God. Help us to move to that place today. God, in Jesus' name, help us to cry out and worship to you. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for that message?